there's something bigger in life than than you and you, you dedicate yourself you know to something that's that's bigger than you In this episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with Mike Hall, who is the Command Sergeant Major of the U.S. Army and has been an Army Ranger since the 1970s. We get into his initial invasions to Iraq and Afghanistan, starting up the Three Ranger Foundation organization, and continuing to serve and provide leadership for all of other veterans. Real stories, real heroes, for a real cause. This is Never Left Behind, the podcast. Mike, how's it going? Thanks for joining us tonight on our podcast. I know we've been looking forward to having you on. We have quite the episode with you, and I know Dan and myself are very excited to have you on. So thanks for being here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. It's good to talk to you all again. And Appreciate what you're doing. Uh, it's been a good day, good week. So That's sometimes you, you, you reach you reach a certain age and, you, and things are going so good, it's scary. <laughs> <laughs> well, we uh, we got to that pinnacle moment, I think, lately, and we're like, all right, when's the crash going to come? And uh, <laughs> yeah. so far it hasn't happened, but I know it, it, it's coming one of these days. Yeah, life's full of ups and downs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to... Uh, Obviously, you know, we can get into discussing how you came about with helping us with our book, but I kind of want to start from the beginning and, and take us all back to where it began to when you were first joined the army. Where were you at at that time in your life? Yeah, I uh, graduated high school in 1976, grew up in Lorain County, hmm. which is just west of uh, Cleveland. And uh, I always thought I was going to be a professional baseball player, but there's only one problem. I really wasn't that good. So that never really happened. Uh, so, uh, you know, back then and, and just the environment I grew up, you just, it was, you know, you, you know, a lot of people, even though it was coming off of, of Vietnam, I mean, uh, college wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people joined the service. I mean, uh, quite a few folks from my graduating class joined the service. That's sort of what you did. You, you joined the service and, uh, you did your three or four years and you came back and, and uh, maybe you went to school or you went to work for Ford Motor Company or General Motors or U.S. Steel and you made a good living back then. And and that was just sort of life. And, you know, people people yeah. stayed around there. And uh, so it's, you know, I, I can't really pinpoint why I joined the service other than you know, I had a couple uncles that, that I really respected. You know, they joined the service, never really talked about it, but it was just it just seems like that's the thing that you did. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I always wanted to, I always wanted to be a Marine. Uh, actually had signed up to be a Marine. And, and as I was walking out of the office and, uh, cause I walked in and said, what, they said, what do you want to be? I said, I want to be a Marine. I said, what do you want to do in a Marine? I said, I just want to be an infantry guy. And this is 1976 out after Vietnam. <laughs> His eyes got big, like, really? This is, this is before they drug tested you, but I know he probably wouldn't wanted to drug test me by then. <laughs> but, uh, as you know, on uh, Broadway in Lorain, Ohio, all mm-hmm. the recruiting stations are right next to each other. So as I was walking out, there's a, a major standing out there and, uh, we had a uniform back then called, called khakis, which is a pretty neat uniform and uh, sort of a summer uniform. He stand outside smoking a cigarette and, uh, he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm gonna join the Marines. 
why do you want to join the Marines? And so I told him, you know, I said, I don't know. I just want to be a Marine. And he goes, ah, let me tell you something that's even better than Marines. We got these Ranger battalions. I said, oh, really? So he took me in there and he showed me a bunch of videos, which was really a bunch of videos of uh, the 82nd Airborne, quite frankly, because this is 1976. This is, well, this is really 19, late 1975 because uh, I was delayed enlistment and uh, nobody knew anything. You know, the Ranger battalions had just stood back up and they weren't really recruiting for them. Mm-hmm. And nobody really knew anything about them because I hadn't, you know, the, the battalion, Ranger battalions hadn't been around since World War II. So, yeah, that's, that's pretty kind of early on then. Yeah. So he, uh, I said, yeah, I want to do that. So I signed <laughs> up and got shipped off. The funny thing was I was at the MEP station at in Cleveland and I'm with my army recruiter, you know, getting ready to uh, get sworn in and all that. And uh, just as the elevator doors are shutting, there's my, there's that Marine recruiter who, I, who <laughs> thought he had me as a Marine and he goes, Hey you. And he kind of said something explicative as the doors shut. It was like something out of a movie. <laughs> That's incredible. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I I went through, you know, basic and AIT. I went to basic at Knox and uh, infantry AIT at at Benning up on Harmony Hill. And, uh, you know, we finished AIT and they said, well, you know, they had a formation and and they said, all right, you know, called off all these names and said, y'all, you know, y'all get on the bus. You're going to Maine Post to go to airborne school. My name didn't get called. And I said, oh, drill sergeant, you know, I'm going to airborne school. I'm going to be an airborne ranger. He said, no, you ain't. He said, you're going to 24th Infantry Division in Fort Stewart, Georgia. Uh-oh. I said, no, there must be some mistake. You know, and I'm sure his answer was something along the lines of the Army doesn't make mistakes. And uh, so I, you know, I I, just, what was what the recruiter told me, you know, a lesson learned is probably read your contract. Because when I did read my contract, I mean, the Army I'm not sure he really lied to me or I didn't really listen real good, quite frankly. Uh, so I ended up uh, going to uh, going to the replacement detachment at Fort Stewart. Uh, back then, it was the only thing at Fort Stewart was uh, one brigade of the 24th Infantry, uh, which was just standing up, which is now the 3rd Infantry Division. And uh, they lived out there in World War II Quonset huts. This is, you know, wow. 1976. And, and you still got soldiers living in Quonset huts. Wow. I thought it was and, bad when I got in <laughs> when they had like seventies yeah. and eighties year old barracks. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and a guy named, uh, uh, first Sergeant Carpenter, Gary Carpenter, who ended up being the first regimental Ranger regimental Sergeant major was the first Sergeant of B company showed up with a couple of staff sergeants and said, who wants to be Rangers? And I said, that's what I signed up for. Pick me. And, uh, <laughs> so they, uh, they gave us the old five event P- airborne PT test or the Ranger PT test, whatever it was. The Army had a whole bunch of different PT tests back then for different things, just like you had, you know, different physicals. And uh, so I took the five event PT test and that was RIP or rope or RASP or whatever it's called right now. And uh, <laughs> then, you know, I, I, I went to a company, uh, first Ranger Battalion off to airborne school and all that. But because, uh, uh, you know, they'd stood up the battalion. They had a great selection process, especially for the the, the, the NCOs and the officers. And I, I guess there wasn't just really a great sustainment plan of, mm-hmm. you know, how to sustain the battalions. Because, again, there was no rip or rope or any of that kind of stuff. And uh, so they, they were recruiting out of the repo depots. And they were I think they were all originally told it was an 18-month tour, you know, to hmm. get the organization stood up. And then they were going to have choice of assignment after that, which was a huge deal. Yeah, uh, in the army back then, it was a huge deal. 
uh, you know, and then uh, they realized they didn't, I guess they realized they didn't really have a plan how they're going to sustain the battalion. And they didn't, they didn't let anybody go. And that, that, you know, caused some consternation uh, because it was very, you know, it was very, very physical and, and uh, you know, readiness requirements and those kind of things. And so was, that's how I got there and, and uh, started from there. That's incredible. I'm, I'm, I'm interested because I, you know, I, I never really get a chance to talk to anybody who was, um, you know, around during the formation or the first formative years of, of Ranger Regiment. What was, you know, like the training op tempo, especially because it was, you know, coming off of Vietnam War, but it wasn't necessarily training or preparing for a known conflict. Yeah. What were those first kind of years like? Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, nobody talked about special ops other than the, the phrase wasn't there, but the, the Ranger battalions were, uh, you know, were raid recon ambush uh, kind of organizations. And that's, that's what we did more than anything else was raid recon ambush. But that was sort of special then also, you know, cause you know, the, the rest of the army had, you know, was switching gears to, uh, to fight the cold war and, and refocuses on that. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it was, it was raid recon and ambush. It was, it was very, very physical. I mean, we, we ran like crazy. We we're still, we we're still running in boots and, uh, fatigue pants and, uh, you know, but it was still, I mean, it's the same standards that we have today it was still five miles and 40 minutes, but we had, you know, depending on what squad and platoon you're in, you usually ran much faster. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, a, a typical, a typical week was you'd get up Monday and, uh, you, you do battalion PT, you did battalion PT about every Monday. And, uh, and that's where the tradition of the Ranger Creed started. Uh, battalion commander would call out, you know, riflemen, you know, uh, a team riflemen, first squad, first platoon, a company post, and you'd run up there and, and you'd have to recite the first standard of the Ranger Creed. And, and then, uh, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd fall back into formation, you know, no warning or anything else. And that was the start of the tradition of, of, of that. But, you know, the interesting thing and, you know, was reception integration that I had. I mean, we had the, uh, maybe the last, or, or, you know, a good core of, of the professional non-commissioned officers that were, that, that were left in the army, you know, combat arms kind of guys anyways, you know, they gravitated towards, toward first, toward the uh, first ranger battalion and, uh, and second ranger battalion, which formed shortly after. Mm. It was a very professional organization. I mean, uh, the NCOs were, were very combat focused. There, there wasn't a, a strong non-commissioned officer education system. It was almost non-existent really back then. So they knew how to be combat leaders. They weren't well-rounded. Uh, they weren't what we call, you know, well-rounded NCOs that we have that we have nowadays. But, you know, they, they sort of taught you the things that, you know, the important things and the important things and that you needed to know as a soldier. Mm -hmm. They took it very, very seriously. You know, physical training was critically important to them. They understood. You know, they, they saw it, you know, uh, over and over again in, in Vietnam, how important that how important physical fitness was. So that was that was a that was huge. But, you know, I walked in and uh, uh, walked in and my squad was there and uh, uh, my squad leader, uh, uh, Sergeant Brooks, I think from Macon, Georgia, and he, he the whole squad was there and they were they were two man rooms. We had the only. We had the only us in the engineer battalion had the only brick barracks at Fort Stewart. Like I said, the 24th was still mm -hmm. living in Quonset Hut. So that was that was a step up right there. We had a real mess hall and indoor plumbing and everything. 
Uh, so that was yeah, that was pretty elite right there. <laughs> uh, so it was it was a uh, two man room, but there's six people living in there. Oh jeez. Uh, yeah. It was bunk beds. I mean, you 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 could literally you could lay in bed, and if you stretched your arm out, you could you could touch the bunk next to you. I mean, you, and uh, everything that you owned had to fit in uh, you know uh, a wall locker plus two. They were probably uh, two foot by three foot by by four foot cardboard boxes. Uh, and everything that you owned had to fit in there. And that was it. Uh, you know, the entertainment and so that stuff was, was down in the day room. But but the whole squad has gathered around and and uh, Brooks introduced everybody in the squad. And uh, and he goes, you know, we're we're or a strack unit, which is a phrase we used back then. And he said, we, we you know, we pride ourselves in garrison on our parents. And one of the things that we pride ourselves on is how to spit shine our boots. And I, he said, you know how to spit shine boots? And I said, well, not really. I mean, that's not something they teach at initial training. So he grabbed a boot and, uh, you know, started, started shining it up. And he gave my, you know, he gave my other boots. We got issued, I think, three three or four pair there. You know, he, he gave my other boots to the rest of the squad. And they, they spit shined up my boots. And I watched. And he said, do you think he got it? And I said, yeah. And he goes, you know, we also wear, you know, we press our fatigues. This is this is sort of before you send everything to the cleaners to get starched. And she said, you know how to iron? I said, I don't know how to iron. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so we you know, they, they brought out the the squad ironing board and and uh, he ironed, you know, one set of fatigues. And then the rest of, I think we got to issue eight sets, of the old OG 107s camouflage fatigues. And the rest of the squad, you know, uh, ironed them up. And he said, you think I got it? I said, yeah. I said, do you know how to sew? And I said, no. And he goes, well, we're an airborne unit. We don't wear pin-on ranks. So, you know, we sew on everything. And so, uh, you know, he, he sewed up my rank and, and uh, the rest of my uniforms. And, and uh, the rest of the squad, you know, they, they sewed up the other uniforms. He said, you think I got it? I said, yeah. And, uh, and then there was some, you know, there's, there's you know, he, he sort of told, he said, you know, sort of explained how things went and what the schedule was what was expected of me. And, and then he uh, gave me an envelope, which had my mom's address. I don't know. I don't know how he found out that. And he goes, I want you to write your mom. And, and this is the number to the CQ desk. Uh, the only person in the platoon that was married back then uh, was the uh, Lieutenant, the platoon leader. Hmm. And uh, he said, I want you to write your mom and uh, give her the information. If she's got any questions, just call this number and ask for me. And, he goes, I don't care if you tell her if you're happy or not happy or lonely, you're not lonely, but, you know, just tell her that, you know, you're okay and you're in good hands. And, uh, you know, that had such an effect on me, uh, you know, on how I was, how I was, re, you know, the reception and integration. It, it, but it was, like I said, it was, don't get me wrong, it was a very physical unit. Uh, the non-coms had no problem putting their hands on people to get their attention. I mean, there wasn't uh, there wasn't abuse, there wasn't beatings or anything like that. But it was just a different army, and it, you know, if someone needed to grab you by the by the collar to to get your attention to do something, I mean, that that would happen. Uh, you know, you, you met the standard or you didn't meet the standard, but you know, but I, I made up my mind right there. You know, I, I I did write my mom, and and I grew up, you know, one of the typical broken home stories. You know, went through, you know, my dad left when I was three, and went through two stepdads who were. You know, again, you know, <laughs> my mom could really pick them, you know, some, some more you know, <laughs> uh, abusive alcoholics. And, uh, you know, I, I, again, I had some good, good, good examples of my uncles. I mean, they're not there every day and they got their own families. Mm -hmm. But, uh, uh, but I wrote my mom, I said, I said, mom, you know, I've, I've 
I've just met the 10 best friends I've had in my life. Wow. That's crazy. And, you know, and that's something that obviously had effect. I mean, you, you, you go back home and, and people are still, you know, they're, they're still talking about high school and what they did in high school. And they're still hanging out with the high school friends or the college friends. And I'm thinking, you know, that it's, you know, I was so blessed to, to have this kind of experience to, to meet these kind of people, to, to learn, you know, what people, you know, people that you never met before, how they're willing to do things, mm-hmm. you know, to truly care for you. And, you know, I look back at, you know, and I thought, wow, you know, what, what, a, what an experience that was. And, and no matter what we did, uh, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't going to fall out. I wasn't going to lag behind. I wasn't going to give up any piece of equipment because I just couldn't let, I couldn't let my, my leaders down and I, and I couldn't let, uh, you know, my squad mates down. I mean, it's just, you, you wouldn't, I mean, it, there's a certain amount of physical fitness and I'm not sure how good a shape I was in, but it, it really didn't matter because, you know, it's like jumping out of an airplane and it's pretty simple. The guy in front of you is going to go out the door and, and you know, the guy behind you is going to go out the door. So, you know, you're going out and that's, that's what sort of early life in the, in the Ranger Battalion was. I mean, you just, you fell in and, and you were expected. There was no, there was no falling out of things. I mean, it, it was very, you know, the NCOs taught you, you know, <laughs> you fall out and you're out there by yourself. I mean, we can't <laughs> all lag back here, you know, you're going to, you know, the consequences are pretty severe and you need to learn that in peacetime because you don't, you certainly don't want to learn, learn that in combat. So that's pretty that interesting. Was to... in, you know, that was my reception integration. It was, uh, I respected my leaders. I didn't fear them. Uh, I tremendously respected them. Uh, I respected my, my squad mates. Uh, and, uh, so, but again, you, so you'd get up, you do battalion. I got off track. You, you do battalion PT and, and then, uh, you would, you, you probably went into, you went and drew weapons and, and, uh, you probably went and jumped somewhere at Fort Stewart and, uh, and you, you, you walked around, uh, Fort Stewart, Camp Swampy. I mean, this was before Fort Stewart was drained. Every, the only place, the only dry place were really the, the tank trails that, that, uh, that crisscrossed Fort Stewart. And, uh, you walked around and you did raids and recons and, and ambushes and that's that's what you did just over and over and over again just the very very basic stuff i mean there was only really four ranges on fort stewart there's a pistol range and a uh a qualification m16 qualification range and automatic rifle range which is a little bit different although your automatic rifle was your automatic rifleman was the guy that carried twice as much ammo and, had, and was given a set of bipods <laughs> for his m16 <laughs> and uh and a machine gun range but you know we 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 just practiced the fundamentals of marksmanship you never really it's it's looking back and this is something i brought later on as i became the regiment regiment sergeant major i mean you never i never recall qualifying but we did a heck of a lot of marksmanship training mm-hmm. and we were you know we, we were pretty good because that's what we did we did marksmanship training we didn't worry about spending time about qualification or it was sort of like, it was sort of like the PT test. And I mean, you didn't practice for the PT test. You did physical training. And then when you had to do the PT test, I mean, done right, you know, you, you would excel at that. You know, I never, I never, I never, I never did not max a, a physical, you know, PT test. And it's, that, you know, it's pretty interesting wanted. to, to hear you talk about how, when you, you know, went back home and you had that kind of realization of, you know, the people still talking about high school stories. I feel like that's, it's pretty common too with people who live in small towns. Like I know I can imagine Dan can relate to that too, because you know, he enlisted very young from a small town that him and I were both living in at the time. And I imagine, you know, him coming back to visit and 
kind of just seeing the same people doing the same thing. It's, it's a weird thing to see. Yeah. I mean, I you know, I'm not denigrating, you know, the lives that they live I and mean, most of them are very happy. It's not that at all. It's just, you know, the, the difference of, you know, under, you know, of, of meeting, of, you know, of being in an environment like that, that, you know, only something like being in a Ranger battalion, you know, can, can give you that experience. And, you know, just makes you just, you know, certainly, you know, certainly a better person, uh, mm-hmm. at least in my opinion. And, you know, that, uh, you know, 99% of the people that, that go into the Ranger battalions and, you know, and even, even guys that, that, you know, don't even, don't even, for whatever reason, uh, you know, don't even last two years. I mean, the effect it has on them, you know, is, is life changing and it's mm-hmm. usually very, very positive. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's just, you know, it's the environment, it's a culture. It's, it's, it's weird how it, how it changes people. I mean, you can't, you know, if, if a guy's going to be an ax murderer, he's going to be an ax murderer, but you know, <laughs> Uh, but you get in that environment and, you know, suddenly probably don't want to be an ax murderer anymore for whatever reason. Maybe he's not, uh, he's not going to be in, in the running to be the next Pope, but you know, he's going to be a, he's going to be a much better person, uh, overall. So if you're an ax murderer, join the army. <laughs> no, I don't do <laughs> no, you know, it's so important and, and something I, you know, I, I forgot about until you, you talked about it. And I, I feel like your experience was a, a lot more intimate, but at the same time it, it happened for me too, is those, those early days, formative days of when you first show up to, you know, Ranger Battalion and first get introduced to your squad. Like that's, that's exactly what happens is they walk you through everything is like, do you have this? Do you have that? Have you been taught this? Have you been taught that? And if it's a, you know, a no, then they fill the gaps and, teach you the next thing. If it's something that needs to be squared away on your uniform, they square it away for you and show you what right looks like. And, uh, it, it, things just seem to, to come at you so much faster and you pick up things so much faster because you have to be on it. Um, and I think that that relates back to that, you know, going back home and, and seeing people just doing the same old thing is life back home just seems so much slower. And when you're in regiment, it's just constantly go, 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 go. You know, and, and, you know, you, you, you probably went through an era where, you know, uh, you know, some people, you know, and it's, it, it depends what squad, platoon, company you grew up with. It depends what time you're there. You know, I used to hear about harassment and, you know, and hazing and, you know, I used to call, you know, soft mark, you know, uh, stunts where you're, you know, people like to, but it's funny how people like to tell the stories, <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> the stupid things that, you know, people, that people did to them sometimes, but. And uh, I think that all started, you know, we, uh, the battalions, uh, first and second battalion, of course, we didn't have a regiment. I think they both started the, you know, the, the rip concept about the same time. And it was either late 78 or 79 like that. Cause I remember my, my, they pulled my Lieutenant to be the, the first commandant at, at first battalion. But I think, I think, you know, that's, that's part of it where it started when, when rip started, you know, general Abrams, General Abrams was very specific. You know, he said he said you know that, that there 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 needed to be a uh, you know a rite of passage to become part of the battalion. But you know, his idea of a rite of passage was was more of what I experienced. You know, versus what in, in some cases it it you know it turned out to be during certain periods of history with with the battalions and the Ranger Regiment. I I think I think the wars have, have has pushed a lot of that out, out of there. I just don't. I hear that, you know, it, it's not like it, it was perhaps, you know, during the nineties and, and things like that. Of course, I, I don't mm-hmm. know. 
Yeah. But I'm, you know, it's, you know, it's, uh, I remember when I was a regimental sergeant major, we had an incident in third battalion's barracks and, and, uh, general, uh, general Stringham was chewing out the, uh, regimental commander and telling me, oh, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, what, well, you need to get that under control. And how can things like that happen? Things didn't happen when I was there and blah, 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 blah. So the colonel called me and he goes, what are we going to do? I said, sir, there ain't nothing we can do. I mean, you can, you can talk to people, you can try to explain to them, uh, you know, what's going on. But he said, he said, well, how come we don't know what's going on? I said, sir, because they don't want us to know what's going on. (laughs) And they're pretty smart dudes. I mean, (laughs) you know, uh, we had a, we had a, a leader development, uh, at the regiment a couple months ago that myself and the honorary colonel, were invited to and we had the psychologists out there and you know the average iq of a the average iq of of a ranger is higher uh is higher of uh, than any other organization in in the army except for the special mission units i mean it's Mm. it's you know it's even it's 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 even you know higher than than special forces guys you know it's you know there's there's smart guys in the ranger battalion you know why it attracts them i don't know i mean you get some knuckleheads but you know mostly it's it's pretty uh, it, it's, it's, it's a smart, innovative uh, group of folks. What do you think that IQ is? Probably between 120 130? <sighs> you know, he told us, and I just don't remember, but yeah. It's, Imagine it's, it's pushing 130. 130. Yeah, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. uh, yeah it, it's amazing. Uh, you know, I sit through the, uh, I, I sit through the, some of the RAS2 boards now and, you know, to maybe provide some professional guidance a little bit after after the the board is over and, and talk to guys and yeah the iqs you know is, is amazing mm-hmm. uh, how smart these some of these folks are and uh, yeah so i wanted to ask like were you in regiment and and i guess what kind of uh role did you have during those i guess pre 9-11 operations like haiti panama uh, somalia things like that yeah, I was, uh, I spent all my time in first battalion and, uh, like I said, you know, in the seventies, eighties, people didn't, didn't stay there very long. One, mm-hmm. it was, it was the army system. You rotated around, but two, again, it was just sort of physical and, and we didn't, you know, we, they were, we were known as the Dixie cup battalion because, you know, you would ride guys hard and, and then they got broke and you went and got another one. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've never heard that one, but I like that. <laughs> the Dixie yeah, cup. And, uh, when when uh, when I left in '82 uh, to do ROTC duty at the Citadel, back then uh, units actually supplied uh, people to to ROTC uh, uh, ROTC units, and we had uh, our, our battalion. We supplied an NCO to the Citadel up in Charleston. So mm. when I left, I had like six years and four months in battalion. And, uh, you know, the next closest guy with, you know, time in battalion, you know, after me was like, you know, had just over four years. It was just, you know, it was, it was a very, very fluid organization for a lot of different reasons. Uh, so, you know, folks didn't, didn't just didn't say that I just didn't last physically. Why I did, I, I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm certainly not a PT stud and I've never been an Olympic athlete. It's just, you know, whatever, you know, what everybody else is doing, you know, I'll, I'll I'll be there when they start and I'll be there when they finish. Yeah. And then I guess to, um, to even carry on, you know, over to closing 
or closer to 9-11, I should say, what was it like being a senior NCO for Spec Ops during 9-11 and how rapidly things were changing? Yeah. Uh, you know, when, when 9-11 happened, I was, I was, in, I was the, uh, JSOC CSM. So I, I done moved out of, out of regiment. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I done moved, you know, taking myself, I done moved out of regiment <laughs> by then. I was, I had already been a SAR major for, for quite a, you know, uh, well, I just left regiment as regimental. So I left regiment as the, the regimental SAR major in, uh, June of, uh, May, May of 2000. So I was at JSOC for initial ops into, uh, into, into Afghanistan then. So, yeah, but you know, the, the biggest change really happened after, uh, after Eagle Claw, um, hmm. you know, and that's when, uh, you know, that's when, uh, as, as, the uh, things got spun back up to do, to do honey badger, to go back into Iraq. That's, that's when all the, the special ops, you know, kind of stuff, you know, started happening. And that's, that's when we, we changed from, uh, you know, 79 and, 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 and 80, that's, that's when we changed from being a raid recon ambush, uh, battalion. We started changing to the quote unquote, you know, special operations organization. That was also about the time that, you know, first SOCOM stood up, which is now USASOC, you know, the, the army, the army component of that, uh, stood up so that that was really a huge change and a huge mentality change and it really you know it took a while but but the kinds of the kinds of rangers that we got sort of changed and and again they got you know a lot of the combat experience had left but you were getting you're getting a lot smarter guys the the officers were a lot smarter and a lot better than we had had before uh the ncos you know the guys who were getting promoted quicker were much more educated. They were, they were, they were, you know, uh, they had a higher capacity of, of, of education than, than they had in the past. It was different, you know, before you had a guys, you know, with, with a ton of combat experience. Now you had guys that, you know, were, were inquisitive or innovative. You know, those are the guys that were moving up the ranks, uh, mm -hmm. you know, much quicker because that's, that's what it required because I mean, there was no book written on anything that we had, that we were starting to do with, with, uh, uh, helicopters and, and, uh, fixed wing aircraft and, and some other things we had never, uh, close quarter battle, uh, you know, advanced mount, we call it a bag. I mean, you know, th that required innovation because no one, no one was doing those kinds of things, uh, there. So, you know, the, the culture and the face of, of people that, be, that were successful, you know, started changing, you know, during that time. Mm -hmm. And that was basically the group of leaders that was there when, you know, nine 11 happened. And, uh, you know, and that's why they were, you know, that's why regiment was, was, was so quickly able to, to innovate and change and, and turn into, you know, just day by day, the organization matured and was doing things that no one, no one in their wildest dreams had ever thought of that anybody would be doing anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Since, since you were at, at JSOC too, those, you know, those early days, I guess once nine 11 happened, what, what was kind of the sequence of events of, of the things that you can talk about? You know, what was that process like within JSOC and, and understanding what the next steps were going to be, who was going to be spun up and, you know, what the, what the mission set was going to be like? Yeah. Well, you know, first there was a lot of controversy. I mean, do you take the alert units or not take the alert units? And the decision was finally made, you know, not to take, well, it was a little bit different in the tiers, you know, whether the alert units came or not, but, 
we were on an exercise in uh, in Europe at the time. Uh, they were they were called quarterlies, and uh, they were really they were really part of the uh, the combatant command uh, exercise program. So we were in Europe uh, on, a, on an exercise. It was really an advanced we called it an advanced force operation exercise back then, where it, it was mostly revolved around all the different tiered units and their uh, advanced force operations, which was something that JSOC was just starting to emphasize. Uh, I mean, every, you know, it, it, it went from, you know, green face recon to, you know, to, to, you know, the, the next different levels of civilian clothes and, and technology and technological surveillance and, you know, and those things like that. And JSOC was just changing all JSOC and all its forces was just changing and things like that. So we were on an exercise. We were, uh, General Daly and I were in, uh, the embassy in Budapest and uh, briefing the ambassador. And uh, we, we, we had come down from briefing the ambassador and we had a, a communication cell set up there in the embassy down on the first floor. They gave us a little broom closet to put some communicators in there. And, and as we were walking out to get our, our uh, credentials back, <laughs> one of the communicators came out and said, Sergeant Major, you're not going to believe this. You know, some drunk pilot, you know, drove his airplane into one of the world trade towers. I said, holy smokes, yeah. you know, said that, that you had the TV <laughs> on and, you know, and, and quite frankly, nobody thought much of it. And so we were getting, uh, uh, you know, some, somebody came down and, and uh, we got delayed leaving for whatever reason, you know, and then, then they call me back to Star Major because, you know, a second plane went in there. So they ain't no accident, you know, and that's, I think, when General Daly realized it too. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we were merely, you know, we were the headquarters for the, the operation was actually in England. So, uh, you know, we had our own, our own, our own aircraft, you know, for not only for the command group, but all the units, you know, we had enough airlift to get people back to England and, you know, Department of Defense said, you know, get back here ASAP, hmm. which was sort of funny because the airspace was closed. So, yeah, <laughs> come back here. You can't come back here. You can't come back. You know, you know the bureaucracy is, is just hilarious all the time. So we, we ended up finally getting back and, and uh, got back shortly after that. And, uh, you know, basically just touched down at, I'm not even sure we went home. I can't remember if we went to Bragg or we went straight, uh, straight to the Pentagon to, to talk to the chairman and uh, the sec def. And, uh, you know, but again, we're circling around Ronald Reagan and they get permission to land no you can't land no we, we gotta land they've asked for us to come here no you can't land you know we circled around to almost ran out of gas so they finally let us land and uh, and get there but you know it's it, it you know that's how crazy because it was dod that closed the airspace and it was dod that wouldn't let us land mm. even though it was dod <laughs> that told us to get there Jeez. so uh you know but initially you know we couldn't i mean uh we had known about Osama bin Laden. I mean, part of the, uh, part of the exercise, you know, had to do with, you know, it's, it's as you guys know, you know, JSOC is, is sort of famous and their exercises are always patterned after real world, you know, real world events or real mm-hmm. world possible scenarios. And so, you know, uh, Osama bin Laden, I mean, we'd known about him and, and uh, so we, you know, pretty, pretty soon, you know, the, the Intel guy said, yeah, you know, this, this has all the marks of him and, that's part of what our AFO problem, you know, exercise was about too. So, uh, you know, but we, but, you know, but you looked at Afghanistan and, 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 you know, and, you know, the immediate reaction is what, you know, we've always done what, what, uh, 
what uh, uh, Clinton had done. You know, he wanted to launch missiles against, you know, but there was, I mean, you were blowing up empty barracks and blowing up empty foxholes. And I mean, it, trying to find, you know, some kind of target was almost impossible because, yeah. I mean, we knew where, we knew where camps were and things like that, but they knew that we knew where they were too. So, I mean, all the camps were empty, you know, and, and trying to get at him, I mean, it was just, uh, it was, it was very, very difficult. I mean, we just didn't know there was no world war two, you know, let's, let's, let's take Berlin, you know, that's our ultimate objective. I mean, you didn't have that. So, you know, we struggled, we struggled to, to find targets and, you know, even, even the initial targets that we went in on that, uh, uh, Rangers and special mission unit went after, I mean, uh, we didn't expect, you know, jackpot at anything, but it, it became more of a, uh, more of a, we can go anywhere and do anything, but, you know, we'd hope to, to, to gather some intelligence. This is before everybody talked about, you know, F F3 it's, you know, this is, let's go in there and let's kick them. Let's, let's kick some things around. Let's see what we can find out. And uh, more than anything else, that's, uh, that's, that's what the initial raids were. And then we just, you know, we, we kept, poking into different places, you know, here, there, and whatever, you know, trying to find something, you know, in the meantime, uh, fifth special forces group was basically up North with the Northern Alliance and, and working with those dudes, you know, uh, doing great things up there. So sort of a, you know, fifth group up, up top with, uh, now general Mulholland and, and, uh, those guys and, and then JSOC forces hitting a bunch of targets, you know, and, and doing some advanced force operations, you know, trying to kick some things around. But that was, you know, the initial operations and uh, everybody thought, you know, you're going to go in there and we're going to kick some things around and hopefully we'll find this guy. And, you know, just like an exercise, we'll be out of there in you know, 30 days, 60 days or six months and it'll all be over with. And that was that was not only most people in JSOC's uh, way of looking at it. I mean, that's the way the country looked at it. That's the way DOD looked at it. That's the way the National Command Authority looked at it. I mean. We never, we never invested that, you know, we were, you know, no one had any clue that we were going to be there for 20 years. That's I mean, crazy. It, it didn't, it didn't dawn on anybody. It was, you know, we're going to go in there, we're going to get out. I mean, it's part of the reason they didn't, they didn't bring a lot of, you know, conventional forces over there. It's just because, you know, we're going to go in there, we're going to do this and get in and get out. I mean, there is, there is no targets. There is no Berlin. I mean, we're going to get these terrorists and, you know, sort of, it's what I called, you know, it was, it was an anti-terrorism mentality versus a counter-terrorism mentality, which is much more complicated. Mm -hmm. You know, you just have to go in there and get the guy and be done. But, you know, that, that shaped a lot of things, you know, and, and, you know, part of the reason, you know, that we're, we're still there 20 years later is we just, nobody could come up with, you know, with, with a really good objective of what, you know, nobody could tell you what winning was. I mean, these aren't stupid people. There aren't people that didn't care, but it was just, it was just impossible to, you know, to define what winning was. I mean, progress was easy to measure, but winning, uh, you know, was, was a much more, much more different, different situation. And we just, we didn't understand Al Qaeda and the concept behind it. Uh, uh, we, I, I don't think we really understood that we were fighting an ideology, not people. Mm -hmm. I think we initially, you know, again, as, so, as I mentioned, I mean, we, we went in there thinking it was about people and it's really not about people. It's about an ideology, uh, you know, and it, it was okay. We, we got rid of the Taliban and, 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 uh, you know, and that was going to, that was, but you know, if we didn't really realize it, it's, it, it's, you know, it's, it's a worldwide organization. It really wasn't just about 
Afghanistan or Tora Bora or, or Jalalabad, you know, where all, where all the camps were, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was much different, much more complicated. And just, you know, again, you can't blame any administration, uh, any military leaders. I mean, it's, it's still hard to, you know, nobody can, def- nobody can define what winning really was. And if you can't do that, then you certainly can't put, put resources, forces, uh, against that. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we just, we, we just never, we just never figured that out. And, uh, some people say we, you know, you could could have bombed them, bombed them back into the ice ages, but you know that that, that doesn't work. You mm-hmm. know, one, one, it's never worked, and and two, I mean, you know, people that think that you can just drop a bunch of bombs and you can kill everything in sight. I mean, you know, as you know, it doesn't really work all the times. I mean, you can have, you know, how does anybody survive? You know, you know, an attack or, or something like that. It's just they do. I mean, you just you just there's no such thing as you know, just killing everything inside. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. It's not, it's not, it's not Hollywood. So. Cause you, you kind of hit on it a bit, a little bit. And I'm just curious your, your thoughts, you know, the, the mentality of the military is very objective oriented um, where it's, you know, you have this target in front of you, you have this objective. Um, but as we've learned in Afghanistan, like you said, it's, it, it became much more of a war of, two cultures or even multiple cultures, three cultures, four cultures. Um, When do you think that that shift happened where, you know, that realization came to be and, you know, I I guess why have, haven't we been able to define what that exit strategy looks like until, you know, very recently it's just been, you know what, we just got to get out, pull everybody out. Yeah. I don't know. Like I said, it's just, you know, I, I can only sum it up as we, we just haven't defined, you know, what, what winning really was. And, uh, you know, I think we, I think we sort of, I think you can look back and, I mean, you hit right on the head. I mean, the military is, uh, the military is, is objective focus or people focused, or, I mean, it's always been that way. It was crossing the Rhine, uh, you know, killing Hitler or, uh, you know, taking and holding ground. And uh, that's, that's, that's not what, what this was. And we didn't, and, uh, we shifted from, we went in there to take out Al Qaeda and, and uh, then we sort of shifted to the Taliban and that was important. And because it became, you know, the, the Taliban was, you know, that was an objective. We mm-hmm. could defeat, the, you know, we could defeat the Taliban, but, and, you know, and it was left to the military to do, but I mean, it's, it's, you, you can't, I don't think you can blame the military because it's not a military problem. It's a whole of government problem. And, you know, I just, I personally don't think that, you know, the whole of government was ever truly committed, you know, uh, the whole of government was committed on, you know, nine 11 and the day after, but I, I remember telling a lot of people, I said, you know, we're going to look back in five years and, and uh, after nine 11, and we're going to say, you know, are we more like nine 10 or are we more like where we were nine 12? And I said, we're going to look more like we were in nine ten, And, you know, no one, no one wanted to put the, uh, the consolidated effort of what it was really going to take to win, you know, put it in there. I mean, uh, I just, you know, the, the agencies, I don't think took it that seriously. It was not, it, it interfered with some of the other things they were trying to do. I mean, department of state didn't, you know, everybody got fired up initially and then it's like, Oh, we're going to be here. This is going to take a long time. Well, we got to rotate people <laughs> out. We got to, we got professional development, you, you know, and it was just, it, it was, it was, you know, it, it was just, wasn't that commitment that, you yeah. know, 
General McChrystal was sort of famous for saying, you know, what if what if we deployed everybody and we told them you're going to stay here until it was done? What mm. if we done things differently instead of, you know, a six month rotation, a, a year long rotation, you know, those kind of things. And, and it but, you know, that's a mentality that that our government had. It was, you know, we can. We, it, it was a six-month mentality. We go in there and make things better, but you know there was never a full commitment, you know, to what winning is, and that was a whole government commitment. And uh, you know, nobody wanted to take that huge step, uh, whether it was you know political reasons or they just you know lack of attention of other things that were going on. And you know, look at how united the country was on on nine twelve, and look at yeah. you know, and, and and then look one year later, and and one year after that, and one year after that. And look at how the attitudes changed and, you know, and, yeah, like 20 years later now, you know, look at yeah, now. And 20 years later. I mean, it's, you know, some of the things that were done uh, in, you know, that, that, that were done with, with full acceptance, you know, at the time they were done. I mean, you couldn't find anybody said, Oh, this is wrong. This is bad because this is what we need to do. Uh, I mean, it was totally accepted. And I look back 20 years later and say, ah, you know, these criminals, how could they do these things? How could they treat people like that? Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's sort of like, you know, it's sort of like picking up the Bible today and reading it and trying to figure out what words meant and what they meant, you know, 2000 years ago. I mean, it's pretty hard to do because Mm -hmm. you can't go back there 2000 years and figure out what they really meant. Just like, you know, it's hard to go back, you know, 20 years ago. And, uh, you know, I just, I used to have a signature block and I, you know, I used to sign my signature, you know, uh, don't forget where, you know, we are at war and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, you know, the country was never on, it was never on a war footing. You know, the country didn't accept that. And so, yeah, we just, it, it wasn't a military problem. The military knew how to win. The military made progress all the time, but, but, uh, you know, again, I, I, you know, some people may dispute this, but, you know, I think, you know, when when uh, when McChrystal got to you know Afghanistan, he developed a campaign plan, and nobody could really recall ever there being a campaign plan where there was an end state. I mean, it was just mm-hmm. it was you know the, the 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 brigades would go in there and and they would get briefed you know by the people that were leaving, and and the map was all green, and <laughs> uh, so the the unit they would leave left. And now the unit, they, they took those same maps and they said, everything's red. Yep. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, then the next unit came in and it was all green again. And then they switched over and it was all red again. Cause you know, everybody had that, that one year and that, that one year, that six month mentality. And it, it, it's, again, it's not a bad thing. I think it's very genuine. It wasn't politics. It wasn't body counts. I mean, it was, you know, I, I every unit that went in there, you know, made progress, but, but, you know, unless you put the whole thing together, I mean, brigades can, you know, the army, army brigades and, and the Marine battalion can go in there and do great work. But if, if it's not tied to something bigger, if it's not tied to what winning is, as you know, all those, those progresses, you know, it's just, it's, it's not wasted, but it's, you know, you, you're not, you're not moving that you're not moving any close to, to, to winning. And, you know, we just, we, you know, the, the government of the United States just didn't do that. Yeah. Well, it's like that old idea that you trained a standard not to time, but yeah. you know, you, it, that didn't necessarily happen, you know, in the campaigns and no. it, it ended up being much more of a rotation base and, and everything, you know, everything was about that. Um, you know, people taking, what was it? The meat mid rotation 
uh, leave and, and things like that back to Kuwait or some people came back to the U.S. and, and mm-hmm. it just became much more of an operational nightmare, I would imagine, um, just thinking about readiness and and you know trying to keep mission focused when you're constantly rotating guys in and out. Yeah, and I, I'm not sure what was right or wrong, you know, but initially, you know, units would deploy and, you know, you, units weren't allowing people to go to school. They didn't let people come back when they're, they're, you know, they're, when their wives were having babies, you know, because, you know, it went from that to, okay, this is just another deployment. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's funny how, you know, what the word deployment became. And it's like, you know, I did four deployments, six deployments or whatever, or tours or whatever, you know, old, mm-hmm. old, old terms that people use. And, and yeah, but it, it became, it became that mentality. I mean, we, we, you know, I don't know who said it, you know, but we haven't been in Afghanistan 20 years. We've been in Af- Afghanistan. Uh, we've been in Af- Afghanistan, you know, one year at a time, 20 times, you know, it's <laughs> a completely different mentality. Yeah. You know, we really have. And, uh, Again, you know, I, 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 the military, I mean, the United States Army, and all the armed forces and their leaders, and they, you know, for the vast majority of them, they're very, very good. I mean, the way that, I mean, I'd never really been out of the Ranger Battalion, and when I became the Afghan uh, SAR major, and you know, got out, spent a lot of time with with all the units out there, I was amazed, you know, how mature, how professional, you know. Uh, our army and our marine corps you know the ground forces you know speaking of them anyways they they were just you know mm-hmm. amazing how good our military is and you know was during that time and how you know because more than anything else you know what it did it, it forced it forced the military to really power things down you know where where leaders were allowed to lead you know the zero the zero especially initially i mean the zero defect mentality which which always creeps into the army in peacetime you know, went away and, and it allowed leaders to develop and you know, mm-hmm. the vast majority of them developed wonderfully. Yeah. You know, and, and those that didn't, I mean, you were gone. Yep. There was just, there's no tolerance for that. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, and that's the kind of people that, that came into the service too. You, you know, the people, people came in the service, you know, to, 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 to fight the global war on terrorism. They didn't come into service to get an education so they could get out. I mean, you had a different, you had a different kind of person that joined the military, you know, uh, mm-hmm. in the later years after 9-11. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so after, you know, obviously. Uh, I ramble. Have you figured that out yet? No, 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 no. You're given a, a lot of incredible information because I, honestly, you're giving me a bit of a history lesson and leadership lesson. It's, uh, it's been, uh, excellent. Um, Again, I, I, I don't get the chance very often to talk to people who were pre-9-11, but then even early years and especially at the level you were. So um, I, I appreciate everything that you're, you're telling us. Um, but, you know, I, I am curious now. So once you once you found out or you decided to retire and, and transition out of the military, what was that experience like for you, especially after spending so much time? Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> I was, uh, my goal, you know, I, I, again, as I started off saying, you know, I was never a career soldier, you know, the phrase we used to use lifer when I came in, but I was never a career soldier, but, you know, I did my first three years and, 
uh, I, I married Brenda at the time and I thought, you know, it's the first four years, I should say I had married Brenda at the time. And I really, I really enjoyed the Rangers and what I was doing. And, and, uh, so we decided, you know, let's, uh, you know, we're still trying to have a, a child and, you know, let's do another hitch. And, uh, subsequently we had a child who had some, uh, some medical problems and he said, let's do another hitch. Let's do another hitch. And, and uh, you know, my only, and then I reached the point where, you know, I started accumulating years and, and, uh, people would ask you, what do you want to do? And I said, well, my only goal in life was to be a, you know, a, a Ranger rifle company first start. And then, you know, I, I, I was lucky enough to do that for about five years with, with a company first one, one seven, five. And then I made SAR major and, and, uh, people don't believe this, but I, I mean, I had no idea that, uh, I was even eligible uh, for the promotion. And it just, it just all sort of kind of happened. I mean, the, the, the only, the only picture, the only picture I ever took or the only time I ever looked at my records was when I was a staff sergeant and, uh, Stan Fox was the, uh, battalion sergeant major. And he put all the, put all the staff sergeants on a bus and we rode up to Indianapolis to do our records and get our pictures taken. But I never paid any attention to that because you didn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was disappointed, you know, and, uh, how I found out was, so our major was having a meeting and uh, we were up there and I was up there a little early and, and uh, the phone rang and, you know, back then when the phone rang, didn't matter who you were or whatever, if you're standing under the phone, you picked up the phone, you answered it. <laughs> so I picked up Sergeant major's phone and, and uh, it's the regimental Sergeant major telling, uh, you know, that, you know, doesn't say hello or ho or how are you or everything before I get anything word out. It's just, very gregarious, uh, Sergeant Major, he, he, he started talking about, yeah, you know, the promotion list out is in Hall, Hall made E9 and the Sergeant Major's Academy and Command Sergeant Major. So, you know, when you see him, you know, have him give me a call so I can give him a congratulations to Sergeant Major. <laughs> this is me. <laughs> it was sort of funny. That's hilarious. I, so I was, you know, I was disappointed because I just didn't, I didn't think that there was, you know, life, life after, you know, leaving a rifle company. Uh, cause that's what I, you know, what I was able to do just about, you know, besides that, that ROTC duty. And then just before I went to ROTC duty, I did six months as the in- intelligence sergeant. And so, man, I just loved, you know, being down there in the line and, 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 uh, you looked at the SAR majors and they were all pretty squared away, but I thought, you know, what does the SAR major do? I mean, and, uh, so I, I didn't want to do that. And, uh, but when I made, when I'm 89, I didn't, you know, I think I only had like 17 years in, so you know, I had to stick another, another three years. So I went to Fort Campbell and had three one eight seven, and it was the most rewarding, uh, most re- rewarding job I, I had in the Army, uh, working with that organization and helping them make better. And had had great commanders and uh, great officers and great NCOs, and you know, you found out that you know if you just let people do what they're supposed to do, they're pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and then I, then I got called back to be the regimental SAR major. And I thought, you know, you know, for and I, I didn't want to leave uh, 3187, but for stability purposes, for my family, I went back. I mean, that was the biggest reason I went back because, I mean, my, my whole life had been, you know, you go to the Rangers, as long as you can hang, you, you can stay there. <laughs> yeah. so I went back for more than anything else. I went back for stability reasons and and so I'd, I'd done that for about four years. And, and then, uh, general Brown called one day and, and said, said, you're coming to JSOC to be the JSOC star major. I need you up here next month. And 
I mean, it's okay. I mean, that's the army. You sort of do what you're told. And I'm thinking, how am I going to make an impact there? And I got up there and, 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 and I, you know, I found great job satisfaction. And then, and then General Brown subsequently had moved up to USASOC later on. And he, he called General Daly and said, hey, Hall's coming up here to be the USASOC CSM. And again, you just sort of you do what you're told and you, and you go up there. And I thought, how am I going to find job satisfaction in a, a, a force providing admin headquarters? But, but I did. And uh, then I just reached a point where I decided, you know, there was there was nothing else in the army. And this was after 9-11, obviously. And there's there was nothing else in the army that I wanted to do. And I, I called the sergeant major of the army. I said, I'm going to retire. And he said, you want this job, that job? And I said, no, I don't. Because it, you know, it's just not something. There's just not another job I want to do. So, you know, I retired and I was out for about a year. And that's when, you know, McChrystal called and asked me to go back to Afghanistan with him. And, and I did. But. Well, wow. um, I didn't. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So you know, and, you know, and I I remember driving, uh, you know, driving home from work and looking at you know, and this is when you still had paper, looking <laughs> at my leave and earnings statement. You know, up in the upper right hand corner, it had years of service, and had twenty. I pull off the side of the road and I go, "Holy smokes! How'd that happen? I can hmm. retire. I got twenty years in the army." I mean, that's the kind of career that, you know, uh, satisfaction that I had with the army is just, it was good. You know, I was never, I'm not one of those guys that said, I'm going to, I'm going to stay in the army as long as it'll have me until they kick me out. I mean, I just, I just went to different positions and I, and I found job satisfaction on, on, on helping make organizations and people better. And, and until it just reached the point where there was, there just wasn't, you know, I'd, I'd been in the USOC CSM for about seven years and it was just, you know, I just didn't want to do it. I just run out of energy. You know, I, I find myself, you know, sort of getting burnt out and complacent and, and not seeing issues where I should have seen issues sometimes. And it was just time to go. But then, you know, when after I'd been out for a year and and McChrystal called, I said, yeah, that's, you know, we talked about what he wanted to do and and uh, his conversations with the president on, on you know, what we're going to be able to accomplish. And I said, yeah, I think we can make a difference. So I said, yeah. I want to go do that and, oh, wow. and, and, and i did that's that's so interesting so h- how many years did you have in before you had your initial one year separation 32. wow jeez so what was weird was uh when you retire from the military everybody thinks you know it's 20 year retirement i mean that's actually a waiver mm-hmm. uh it in, in order to retire from the federal government from the army you have to have 30 years Mm. And uh, like when and when you get your do you DD two fourteen if you don't have thirty years in it'll have a, up in the little block there it says you know you're subject to recall until you know such and such you know year which is really your thirty year mark and of course when you when you retire with thirty years of service that's left blank because it's it's not applicable because the only way you can recall a guy to duty after thirty years is uh, is uh, when there's been you know full mobilization. And that hadn't happened since World War II. So I, you know, I, I talked to McChrystal and, and told me what he was going to do and, and what the president had told him. And, and uh, so I said, yeah, I'll do that. But, but then, you know, they couldn't figure out how to do it because, I mean, there is no paperwork. I mean, mm-hmm. basically it's against the law. I mean, I had 30 years of service. I couldn't be recalled. I couldn't go back on active duty. And uh, finally, Secretary Gates had to personally get involved and told wow. the Army, he said, send them something to sign. And. And uh, so they sent me like five pieces of paper, which I signed, and I'm not sure what they had to do with coming back in the army, but, <laughs> but it, you know, I know what, I know it wasn't kosher because 
I know I didn't get paid for about the first three or four months because they couldn't, again, there was no way to bring me back on active duty. There just wasn't the procedures there to do it. So I'm kind of, I'm, I'm curious too, like based on your, you know, what your personal transition was like, what are your beliefs for others who are transitioning? Uh, well, you know, transition, you know, one thing, you know, you, I was, I, I had some really, you know, you've heard me say, I had some really great leaders throughout my career who not only developed me as, as, uh, as, a, as an NCO leader, but developed me, you know, overall, you know, I, when I made corporal, uh, Lieutenant Briscoe called me in and, and said, you know, are you going to stay in the army? And I said, no, sir. Ah, <laughs> uh, not me. <laughs> Again, there was that lifer stigma, and I said, "Not me." And he goes, well, "What do you, you know, how much money you got?" And I said, "I don't know." And he goes, "This is what you're going to do." I said, "You're going to take out an allotment, and you're going to you're going to start a savings account, and you're going to put fifty dollars in there." And he goes, "He goes, and you're not going to touch it." And he says, "I'm telling you, you ain't going to miss it either." So I said, "That's a good idea," and and uh, you know, subsequently that fifty dollars became you know more and more and. And ended up getting the mutual funds and, and buying insurance and, you know, talking to some financial advisors. So financially, I never felt like I had to get out of the service because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I knew I was probably going to be set because, again, I had a leader that, that called me in and personally said, you know, this is important. You know, you ain't going to be a corporal. You ain't going to be an airborne ranger corporal your entire life. You know, you got you to think about the future. And uh, so financially I, I didn't have that burden of worrying about getting out at any particular time and having to find work because you know contrary to popular belief i mean you you're not going to get out at, you know you're not going to get out of the army after 20 years and live on your retirement <laughs> you ain't and uh you know so you're gonna have to you have to go but I, I didn't have that i didn't have that you know and then uh somewhere along the line uh you know a senior nco grabbed me and and said you know there's ways to get a college education, you know, while you're in service. And I said, yeah, you know, I'm a green tabber, you know, I ain't got time, but you know, I found that I found those non-traditional ways of getting my education. And, and, you know, it it took about 15 years, you know, but I I found I got my bachelor's degree. And again, Mm -hmm. I didn't feel, you know, because I had good leaders that that made me do those things, you know, I was able to continue to do what I wanted to do in a service. And I didn't, I didn't feel, I didn't have that pressure to get out because I had to get out and get an education. And if I'm going to get a good, a good job, I got to get an education, you know, that, you know, that happened. And, uh, so, so based on that, then how would you recommend other veterans to adjust to change? Yeah. Well, you, one, you need to take advantage of what the military has to offer and, you know, and that's, and that's, you know, some good financial management because I mean, it, I, Money isn't bad right now, uh, you know, so, you know, there, there's a way to take advantage of that. You know, there's a way to, to get your education that, you know, there's there's a, there's a lot of things the military has going on that you can take advantage of while you're in there. So when it, you know, so when, when it comes time to, to make that decision to reenlist or get out, you can make it based on, you know, what's good for you, what's good for your family. You know, if you're enjoying what you do, so you don't have to worry about, you know, those those burdens of, you know, finances or or what the future looks like, or whether you have insurance and those kind of things. So, you know, that's, that's what the Ranger for Life program is all about is, you know, basically from when a guy graduates RIP, you know, you, you start, you know, you start talking to him about, you know, those, those, the big five of, of, of trans of, uh, uh, you know, the big five of, of transition, you know, you, that starts the day you graduate RASP, you know, they, you know, the regiment requires, you know, they, they've, they've got education counselors in every battalion. 
I think they're probably the only organization in the military that has that. And, mm-hmm. you know, they have a policy that, you know, if you want to be in a certain leadership position, you're going to have to get a certain amount of college. And, 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 and the Army's always kind of said that, you know, if you want to get promoted, you got to get college. But they also said, you know, you got to do your, you, you got to do your, you got to do your leadership time. I mean, they'd say, you know, if you want to make sure in first class, you got to get a, an associate's degree. But they also told you if you want to make sure in first class, you better have, you know, two or three years of squad leader time. Mm-hmm. Those, <laughs> you can't do them both, you know, not unless accommodations are made to do that, you know, but the, but the regiment has, has decided to make that investment uh, in the guys. And some people say, well, you know, you're, you're encouraging guys to get out. No, you're not, because what you're doing is is it's really a retention tool because again they don't have to worry about getting out and get their education because they can get it while they're in yeah and, and still do what they want to do and you know and we start off you know at at, at rasp and you know they're going to get a brief on on financial wellness and and uh you know how to how to smartly use your money and tsb i mean they're going to be just like basic marksmanship they're going to be taught those kinds of things again uh be, because you know one you, you know you, you you truly care about people, you're going to do the right things for them. You know, then, you know, it's, it's just like the stories I told in my life. I mean, someone, someone grabbed me and did it. It, it wasn't a big plan. But I just had good leaders that were a little bit more mature than me that, that told me to do those things. And, uh, you know, and then, uh, not, and, and, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, behavioral fitness and, and physical fitness. I mean, the, the amount of behavior uh, folks and, and uh, physical fitness folks that are, that are down there now that they've, they made the decision to hire. It's, you know, to take, to take care of people that, you know, the stigma of if you're broke, you know, come see us before you get broke so we can get you better. So we can get you back in the fight, mm-hmm. you know, versus, you know, gutting it out. I mean, you know, taking care of people. And again, those, those, I mean, that is so important. Those are down at the unit level where, where people can, can see that and do that. And, and, you know, and, and, uh, you know, if you, if you do have, you know, behavior problems, uh, that you're worried about, I mean, the biggest thing, you know, you're going to get in trouble if you don't go and get help. You're not going to be in trouble if you get help. You're going to go get, in, you're going to be in trouble if you don't get out there and get help. Yep. Uh, you know, and yep. you know, and it's, and it's changing that, it's changing that attitude. And of course that's going to make a much healthier environment for everybody because, you know, it's the people that affects is the leaders. And so when, you know, when, uh, when the Rangers look up to the leaders and they say, Hey, you know, big stud platoon Sergeant Brown, you know, is going and doing this. Well, Okay. you know, I guess it's good for me too. And, you know, and now big stud platoon Sergeant Brown is, is going to, you know, take that same attitude down there to everybody else. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a lot of these things again can lead to, you know, it, it seems like you're helping a guy get out, but, but you're not, you, you're making sure he has the resources so he can make, so he can make the decision and he can decide, you know, is what I'm doing making me happy. Is I making my family happy? Or is it not? And now you have all those things. You don't have to worry about those those other stressors in your life. So I mean, yeah. that's it's you know that, that's what the Ranger for Life program is, is all about. And, and heck, at the end of the day, it's a retention program. And and I that also you know that's also career management. And you know, and I had a, I had a, a wise a wise first sergeant teach me one time. And we had a I had one of my you know best squad leaders wanted to go off to Delta. And he wanted to, you know, take take 45 days to go up to Dahlonega and, you know, uh, work in that kind of terrain and get ready for for selection. And I was pretty pissed about that. You know, we had something coming up or whatever. And mm-hmm. and uh, and and first sergeant says, let me tell you something. He goes, he goes, if you really want to 
truly show you care about people. Sometimes that means you help them leave. You help them do what they want to do. Yeah. And he, said, he says, he says, I forget the guy's name. I do know the guy's name, but what we'll is call him Smith? He says, you know, you're going to go up there and, you know, you're going to lose Sergeant Smith. I said, you know, Sergeant Jones is his alpha team leader, right? Right. Jones is a good guy. Yes. Yeah. So can he run a squad? Oh, yeah. Okay. So we're okay, right? And, and, and Jones is going to be, and Jones is going to be more developed because now he's going to get squad leader time. I thought, oh, yeah, you're right, first Sergeant. That's a good idea. You know, so we're going to develop this other guy. And he goes, he goes, there's, there's a bunch of other guys watching what's going on. And if you treat, and, and if you treat this guy that wants to go off the selection like a piece of crap, they're thinking, well, heck, I guess he loves me while I'm here, but when it's time to leave, I'm going to be, I mean, I'm going to be treated like this. I mean, why should mm-hmm. I stay in an organization like that? That's so, you know, so you have a bunch of other guys on the fence and they look and they see how you treated this guy and you helped him leave. So he left. And the other guys are probably looking around. They're going, you know what? This organization has leaders that cares about us as people. Maybe I'll just stick around here for a while because I'm not sure grass is really greener on the other side. You know, it's a pretty good environment to be in. And, uh, you know, so that, that's that's part of the Ranger for Life program, too, is, you know, it's just telling people what's out there and, and, and giving them all the information they can uh, give them all the information so they can make a good decision, whether they want to, you know, go off to, uh, another organization or they want to get out or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they'll make the decision, but you know, your job is to give them the information to make, you know, help them make a decision. Yeah. And uh, but, that but, attitude I think has always sort of been there. And that's why, you know, the Ranger regiment is, is famous for, you know, putting a lot of, a lot of leaders out to the, to other organizations in the army. But you know what? You know that the right kind of people, you know, have always been there. So you know, we we never we never really lost. You know that you know there was never a, such a critical shortage that we lost a bunch. You know, a bunch of people went off to special forces or or or, or SFOD or anything like that. I mean, because at the bottom line, I mean, six months later, I mean, somebody else has stepped up, and he's probably just as good as the guy that left. And uh, you know, and that's that's the strength of the Ranger Regiment. And that's you know, that's the strength of those other organizations and, you know, you could, you know, some people are right for certain kinds of organizations and some people are right for, you know, not, I mean, you're, you, you could be the best ranger in the world and you go off to SF and you may not be successful because, you know, yeah. the ranger regiment environment is good for you, but it's not great for SF or you could be a mediocre ranger and you go off to SF and, you know, now you're the, you know, the, the first SF regiment, you know, star major, because, you know, you, now you're, you excelled in that environment where you didn't excel in the ranger environment. And, you know, same thing with other kind of organizations. It's, it's finding the right kind of people. And that's what leaders got to do is help give people information to help them figure out what the right kind of organization is. And sometimes that means getting out. And, mm-hmm. uh, and other people watch that and they say, you know, the, the, you know, the organization cares about us. And, uh, you know, they're going to they've given us the information. They've given us the resources, education, financial planning. And, uh, you know, so that's that's the hope that we'll, we'll continue to keep the right the right kind of people by, you know, truly caring about them. So, you know, first Sergeant Fox is a pretty smart guy. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's incredible. And I know I, you kind of hit on a few points that I wanted to, to ask you about is, um, you know, you, you've had some pretty incredible leaders. It sounds like throughout your career. Um, what would you say for somebody, you know, who's, who's in a junior leadership position? Is it something or somebody who's, who's looking to, get up into a leadership position. How, how did you go about like picking up those little nuggets and carrying forward with you? Because you recall stuff all the way back from your initial enlistment. And I think that's, 
that's such a powerful and important thing to have. Yeah, you know, someone, you know, I, you know, I don't think there's been an original idea since the wheel. I really don't. <laughs> yep. And, you know, so, and a lot of things I say, you know, there may be not, you know, at certain types, at certain points in my life, I'm not sure I acted that way, you know, but some of the things I say nowadays, you know, it's not necessarily the way I acted, uh, but it's what, you know, in a lot of cases, it's the way I wish I had acted, you know, cause mm-hmm. you never learn, you know, you, you never really learn your job to it, you know, six months after you left it yeah. anyways. But, you know, someone once told me that, you know, just do the job to the best of your ability and you're going to be successful and you're going to get promoted, you know, and, I remember, you know, people saying, you know, the guys that, you know, that they thought they had to have this assignment or this school or, you know, they spent all the time working out so they could get this PT score or do correspondence courses, you know, you know, those guys never seemed to get promoted. It was just a guy that sort of put his head down and, and, you know, if you're a squad leader, you're a team leader and you just, you just took care of your men and you did the best you can and, and, and you made sure they were trained as best as possible and, and you helped them with their issues and their problems. And, you know, one day you're going to look up and you'll be like me and you go, how the heck did I make, how the heck did I make Sergeant Major when I didn't even know I was eligible for Sergeant Major because I was just, you know, doing what I wanted to do. And, mm-hmm. and you, know, you get that tremendous job satisfaction from, you know, from the folks, you know, you know, when, when you can convince the, you know, when you can convince the people that, are your subordinates that you're really working for them? I mean, they'll do anything for you. Yeah. Nah, uh, you know, it's not, it's not how, how you, it's, it's how you carry yourself. It's what you do. It's not what you say. And, you know, that's, you know, that's my, that's my best advice for leaders is, you know, is, 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 you know, that just that true selfless service and always putting, you know, it's, 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 it's literally the concept of, you know, eating last in the chow line. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, it's literally that concept that you gotta, you gotta take that and, and apply that concept to everything, uh, every, everything in life. It's like, it's like, the, it's like the Ranger Creed. It's not, you know, the Ranger Creed ain't a poem. It's, it's, it's a way of life. And, you know, it, as you know, I mean, the vast majority of people that have been exposed to that, it is a way of life. And, uh, you know, it, it applies in different ways to, to life, not life in the Ranger Battalion. So, well, so. On, on, to follow up on that, then, what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned in your career and how do those translate in your life today? Uh, you know, I'll never leave a fallen comrade. And, you know, I think that's, I think that's about life. That's not about, that's not about, you know, uh, a wounded ranger or, or a dead ranger on a, on an objective. That's, that's about life. And, you know, to me that says, you know, there's, there's something bigger in life than, than you. And you, you dedicate yourself, you know, to something that's, that's bigger than you. And that's something that the military teaches you. That's something that the ranger regiment teaches you very, very well is there's something more important than you. There's a big organization out there and, and, you know, if you're willing to sacrifice to make the organization better, to make other people better, whether you get credit for it or not, uh, I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's, that, that's, that's one of, that, that's one of my, 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 my biggest takeaways. I mean, you took, you know, uh, you know, care of equipment, you know, that, that whole line out of the fifth stanza, you know, respect for others. I mean, that, you know, you want to be successful once you get out, you know, be professional, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 
present yourself as, 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 you know, as, as someone that, that's, 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 uh, looks like to be listened to. I mean, it's, I'm not talking about, you know, a nice haircut and a press suit or whatever, you know, but you know, it's how you carry yourself, how you present yourself yeah, totally. to you know, other people. I mean, that's, that's success in life. I mean, you could be a, you could have, you know, hair down to your shoulders and, and, uh, maybe walk around in holy jeans, but if you carry yourself in a certain way, it doesn't matter. I mean, you're going to represent who you are, you know? So that's what I mean, I've I always told people is just to be authentic to Yeah. Be yourself. authentic. I mean, and, and that, and that's what it is, you know, be, be who you are. Uh, but, but then realize, but, but also, you know, you also got to realize you're not who you think you are. You're, you're what, you're what, you're what other people perceive you to be. Mm-hmm. And that's really important. And you can poo poo it off and say, it's not important. And if they don't understand me, screw them. Well, no, that's not life, but I mean, you know, what people think of you and what people perceive of you and how you carry yourself is critically important because life's yeah. about relationships. Yep. It's, you know, you know, you're really smart and you got a lot of talent. No, it's about relationships because that, you know, that talent and that, that genius, that's only going to last for so long before. I mean, I've seen it in the military over and over again, and I've seen it in the civilian sector for, for a long time, you know, for also, I mean, that only lasts for so long, you know, and yeah, I, that's true. how you treat other people is the important thing. It's not how smart you are and, uh, you know, or how much you can accomplish at the expense of others. You know, no, that, that, think... that'll, that'll get you up a few rings on the ladder, but I tell you, whether it's a military or a civilian life, it's going to catch up to you. Yep. It catches up to people at certain times, but it's always going to catch up to you. You know, the military is a good example of that. I can, you know, list dozens of guys like that. It's how did this guy get promoted? How did he get into this position? You know, but, but eventually it catches up to him. It's the same thing in the civilian world. It's it probably it catches up to people much quicker. Uh, quite frankly, because you don't have this big system. I mean, you, you start being a jerk and they just get rid of you. Yep. <laughs> here today, you know, eight, and you're here today and you look up and then there's the uh, HRVP standing there with the security guy going, let's go. You're out of here. We're going to escort you out of the building. Yeah. Seen it happen. Uh, mostly because, you know, people were, were just not good people, not because they weren't talented. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, incredible life lessons that I hope a lot of a lot of people really take seriously and, and carry with them um but i wanted to to transition and, and get into three range three rangers foundation and uh if you could tell us just a little bit about the history and then i i want to you know talk about what you guys are doing now and you know how we got involved and and what the future looks like yeah three rangers foundation started in 2014 it was started by three rangers uh they were all uh B Company 375 guys from from Somalia, and uh, as they had transitioned out of the service, and uh, they decided they, they, they wanted to, again, just good rangers, they, they wanted to do something for other people. And so they formed an organization, which, uh, which I like to say was an organization to help all veterans do all things. And uh, they did a lot of great things, and they helped a lot of veterans. And... Uh, I, I, uh, the, the executive director of three Rangers foundation, a very good friend of mine, you know, uh, his life was changing and, and, uh, he really didn't have the, I mean, he's like all good Rangers, all good leaders. You know, if you can't put a hundred percent into something, then you need to find somebody else that can do that. Not because you don't care, just, you know, priorities in life are, are constantly changing. We all know that. And he asked me to do it. And I said, ah, you know, I'm, I'm working for Scott's Miracle Grill Company. I really love it here. And, 
And I said, you know, if I, I, I can't take the position because I just can't, you know, like you, I can't put hundred percent into it. And then some things happened at, at Scott's where they, they wanted me to, to move to a, a different part of the organization. Uh, uh, I, I think because, you know, I was, I was pretty good at moving to different parts of the organization and making them better, helping make people better. And they wanted me to go to another part and, uh, out of loyalty to the, to the COO, uh, who's a tremendous, uh, into a tremendous human being. I said, yeah, I'll do it. And then I thought about it cause I was, I was commuting and, you know, every week. And I thought, you know, I just, I don't think I can be sort of like the army. I just, you know, I don't think, I don't think I can, I can, I can put my call kind of effort into this, into this next position for two years. I just don't think I can do that. It's not fair to the organization. And the person coming behind me may not have been as good, but I said, I, I, I can't do that anymore. So, you know, I, I retired out of the organization was tr- treated tremendously well uh, by the organization. And, and uh, so I called three Rangers and I, and I said, yeah, I'll, I'll take the position. I said, but what I want to do here, I want to, I want to neck down the mission. And what I want to do is, is put the majority of our efforts into helping uh, members and former members of the 75th Ranger Regiment transition. So that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. It's a very small, it's a very narrow mission, but you know, I, I wanted to be able, I, I'm involved in other nonprofits and there's like 45,000 nonprofit veterans, non- nonprofits yeah. out there. <laughs> there's more now. All, yeah. doing, all doing good things, but you know, some of them, you know, you, you just wonder, have you lost track of what you're doing? Are you really making a difference? And, and you, you just see examples out there of, you know, a, a, a great organization was, you know, was giving away houses to, you know, disabled vets. And, and our wife and I went to ceremony and, mm-hmm. and we looked at this guy and, and we're thinking of all the of all the folks who could you just kind of help. This guy got it. Yeah. I mean, come on. I mean, yeah, he's deserving, but there's just more people more deserving. So, you know, it's. I wanted to do something where you, I knew we could make a, a direct impact. So that's what we started working on about three years ago. That's awesome. And uh, at, at, the, at the same time, uh, it had been going on for a while, but but uh, Sergeant Major Mike Albaugh was the uh, first battalion Sergeant Major at the time. And he had this concept along with, uh, uh, along with a, a retired Air Force uh, guy. You had this concept of called Ranger for Life, which I, I sort of described, you know, and that's, you know, how you truly take care of people. And uh, so he, he had this concept of one that, you know, the the, 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 uh, the regiment developed a phalanx program for which has three parts. And that is, uh, for, and, you know, professional development to tell you, uh, you know, here's a career path in the regiment, which 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 is really, you know, it's you can be in the regiment for your whole career now besides, you know, having to go out and do charter time. It's about education, uh, you know, helping you to get your education. And, uh, and it's about, you know, uh, behavior and, and uh, physical fitness, you know, and they put those programs in there. But, you know, everybody, everybody transitions out of the Army. And, you know, as I talked about, and that's where the Ranger for Life concept came up with. And we came up with the, the, the big five of, of transition, which is uh, education, uh, finances, benefits, you know, medical uh, having a mentoring network for once you get out, you know, Ranger Buddy Network, and then spiritual fitness and and, and wellness. Yeah. So you know that's what we concentrate on, and, and we work with the uh, the Gallant Few Ranger organization. Uh, and you know the 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 concept is you know, and this is a again, it's 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 a regimental policy. It's policy number twenty five. I mean, 
people have to support it because it's a policy, but, uh, you know, so it's, 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 it's trying to get to the Rangers when they're about 18 months from either retirement or ATS and, and saying, you know, counseling them and, and saying, going over those big five of transition and where do you stand? You know, what can you take advantage of? Uh, and, you know, let's get you in some contact with some mentors that are former Rangers that are, that are out there that, that uh, you have already walked this path. I mean, the problem with people in the military transition is nobody in the military can really give you good advice because they've never transitioned before. Mm-hmm. I mean, pretty simple. Yeah. Except for so, you. You know, yeah, except for me. Yeah, I did. It twice. <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, all ball became the regimental Sergeant major. And it really started before him with uh, really with Mike Bishop. And he was a regimental Sergeant major over, over all ball. You know, we started this Ranger for life uh, concept. And so we're putting together an organization where uh, one, we bring all the Ranger organizations together. You know, we're much better communicating with each other and deciding, you know, this organization does this and this organization do that. And, the Ranger for Life program has, has fallen to Gallant Few Rangers and and uh, the, the Three Rangers Foundation and and, and uh, Gallant Few Rangers. And, you know, they basically grab guys and do initial counseling and and uh, and uh, they also do all Rangers uh, or all veterans really. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then uh, after they've done the initial the initial counseling and and uh, and you know help them also with education some other things and they'll be they'll be transitioned to us as they get ready to really transition. I mean, they, they sort of made the decision that they're going to transition out and we have a network. It's, it's well over 500 former Rangers now and all, all different specialties. And so when, uh, you know, two things, you know, when a guy gets out, he's, he, he may know where he wants to live or he may know, you know, what industry he wants to get into. So after the, uh, the interview that Tony Maine and Gallant Few does for him, you know, we'll, We'll look at try to figure out what this guy wants to do and where he wants to live, and we'll link him up with a couple dozen, you know, rangers that you know either live in his area. So when he move, he gets out and he moves to Houston, you know, one there's a you know a whole network of of new ranger buddies there. Ranger buddies are much more. I think you and I talked about this. I mean, ranger buddies are much more important after you get out of the military than mm-hmm. they are when you're you're in. You know, so so one we, we get them linked up with, uh, you know, with a bunch of former former rangers. You know, build that social network, and uh, so so you you know have people you can reach out to that understand you, and uh, then we have them talk to people in the industries that they're thinking of, so they can say, you know, you, oh, you want to be an FBI agent? Well, <laughs> there's a little bit more to it than than <laughs> filling out forms online, you know. So let let's let me talk to you. So, so you know, let's get you in touch with some. Uh, some former FBI agents, some current FBI agents and, and how to do it. And, you know, how, to, you know, how do you, how do you really get in the organization? And most importantly, you know, you know, despite what you've heard, let me tell you what it's, what life is really like. It's sort of like the army. I mean, nobody really knows what they expect to get in, in the army until you've actually been in there for a while. So, you know, this helps again, uh, this mentoring, uh, it's, it's not the best word. I, I don't know another word, but you know, it's life experiences. It's just like the army. I mean, you, you learn from you. You learn from the people that, that that outrank you because they have more experience than you, and they're not smarter than you in many cases. But you know they've they've got more experience, so they're going to tell you things. You know more than anything else, they're going to tell you things not to do. And uh, you know a lot of feedback I get from mentors is you know what you know what you tell them. I, I told them I told them the mistakes I made, mm-hmm. so he won't make those. You it, know, but he's got to figure it out on his own. And you know people have to own the transition. It yeah. kind of goes back to what you were saying at the very beginning. Is is it's that whole idea and philosophy of when you are first to a new experience a new organization whatever it is 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 having those people there to 
be able to show you how to, you know, spit shine your boots and how to press your, your uniform and how to sew on your, your rank and your insignia. Like that's, it is. It's, it's exact, it's the exact same thing. And, yeah. you know, and you're getting a new set of Ranger buddies. And just like when you get to battalion, you get a new, you know, you get a, you get a set of Ranger buddies that you never had before. And once you get out, you're going to need a new set of Ranger buddies. And mm-hmm. that's you're really not cool. teaching how to shine your boots. But they're teaching you, oh, you you want to get into an MBA program at Harvard? Okay, again, this is how you you know this is how you do it. These the, you know these this this is the kinds of letters that you need to do that. You know this is these are the kind of people that you need to talk to. Here's these are some of the kind of prerequisites that you need to do now while you're still in the military, so that you have a good chance of actually being being accepted to go to Harvard. You know those kind of things. And again, and. and Instead of teaching you how to spit shine your boots, it's teaching you, you know, what you got to do to, you know, how to, you know, what kind of contacts or what kind of relationships or what kind of prerequisites you need to do, you know, to get into Harvard or, or to become an FBI agent mm-hmm. or to become a financial advisor or to become uh, uh, a wildlife firefighter, you know, or, or, or whatever, you know, uh, a, a guy is interested in there or it, gal is interested in doing, you know, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's the exact same uh, uh, integration and, and reception, uh, that, that, you know, that, that you get in the military. And, and again, whether it's my experience or, or your experience, you know, but, but you've got somebody there that you can, you know, that you can talk to that, that you respect, that's going to help you navigate something that's completely new, new, new to you. Cause again, you know, if you're in the military, you ain't never transitioned before mm-hmm. and you have no idea what to expect. Just like when you join the army, you have no idea what to expect. You know, but hopefully you get into an organization, you know, that 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 takes you underneath their wing and, and you've got peers and you've got seniors to help guide you along. And it's, it's the same thing when you transition. And that's what we're, that's what we're trying to replicate more than anything else. You know, I, I wonder, you know, I feel like after every major war, there's always been some sort of shift. Um, you know, whether you talk about World War II and it's the greatest generation, there was a lot of industry that came out of that. Um, talk about the Vietnam era and it's just this whole philosophy of, you know, civil rights and, and thinking about us as a humanity and as a nation, as a whole, um, this, I, I feel like this war, just how lengthy it's been and the impact that it's had on a lot of people lately, the last couple of years, there's been a lot more focus on that transition piece. And it's, it's exciting to see that because I feel like that is where the most impact is coming from. Um, and, and coming from you, somebody who's, who's involved in that, is that kind of what you're seeing as well? Yeah, I think so. You know, it's, you know, it, it depends, you know, why you join the service, you know, when, when, you know, uh, as, as the war is wind down, uh, you know, right now, yeah, I, I, I you know, as, as I talk to regimental leaders, it comes out a lot, you know, Hey, it's our major, you know, a lot of guys join here so they could deploy and you know go to combat and we may not be doing that anymore you know what do we what do we tell the guys and uh and you know i just you know luckily I've, I've been through i've been through this so many times you know and smaller scales but it's the same thing i mean there was the, you know there was there was times when nobody wanted to be a ranger and then we'd go off and we'd do a grenada and you know, I remember, you know, uh, when I came back to be a platoon sergeant in 2nd Platoon A Company in 85, man, I had 15-man rifle squads, 
you know, I, I had seven man machine gun teams because everybody wanted to be a ranger because, you know, that Grenada was, you know, was the first thing. And, you know, the military had come back and it was successful and everybody wanted to be a ranger. And then, you know, then things sort of slowed down and we had trouble trying to figure out how, you know, what motivated people to come and stay in the rangers. And then Panama came along, you know, and so, then, you know, then so we were we were way down on people. And then we were, <laughs> we were you know, next thing you know, you know. Department of the Army saying, give us some of those people back. And we're going, no, we're keeping them. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I've seen it go in phases, you know, same thing after, you know, after Vietnam is, you know, it was, uh, again, it, it was something that we didn't win. Uh, and, uh, but you, you had, a, you had, a, you had a core of professionals that, that understood that, you know, that the army is more important than, than anything. And, uh, and, you know what the military brings to this country and they, they hung around and and then uh you know they brought the military back I and mean, that's what why the ranger battalions were, were formed by general abrams was you know was to make the army better to show people what right looked like to show people what the possibilities were and and uh, i think it was very successful in that and i think you can look at the army and you can you can see that it's it's sort of funny to look at the army sometimes and you see how they do things you know tactics, techniques, procedures, the way they wear their equipment, the equipment they have, the way they wear their haircut, you know, and, you know, their SOPs, uh, uh, you know, every unit and every unit in the army has a blue book. I can tell you in 1976, there's only two, there's only two units in the entire army that had a blue book and it was first and second ranger battalion, you know, those, those, wow. those kinds of things that are, that are, that, you know, that are, that are out there. Yeah. It it's very cool to see that and across a legacy, you know, uh, truly a legacy that's lasted a, a lifetime for many people and, and the amount of time you spent in and around regiment and continue to serve, you know, what, what drives you to continue to, to serve others? I mean, that's, what's always, that's, what's always driven me. And, and you know, is to do whatever I could to take care of people and, you know, and that's, you know, that's what job satisfaction is, if that's a good word. But, uh, you know, the, you know, the relationships that you make with people that, that, you know, have never forgotten you, uh, they don't worship you, but they've never forgotten you because of something you did for them. And uh, I mean, you, you can't beat that. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's gosh, in, in many cases, it's, it's, it's stronger bonds and family, mm -hmm, you know, in, mm -hmm. in many, many cases, of course, it depends on your family and all that. But in many cases, it is stronger bonds. And, and family because you know you, you've run into someone who you know a friend a friend is a friend to the end you know the f-r-i-e-n-d and you know that's those are the kind of relationships that that being in the military or being in a ranger battalion that you that you kind of develop yeah and, and that's i mean that's you know that i hear from guys all the time and and they'll, you know, tell me what a great guy I was. And I know I, I know I wasn't really a great guy because I know there's some other stories about there where I did some really dumb things or I wasn't a good leader at certain times. But, you know, but, you know, the good days, the good days outweigh the bad days. And, and uh, you know, you can never, you know, when you could put your heart and soul into helping somebody and, and it doesn't help and, and he turns on you and, and you, you got to be like that Major League Baseball closer you got to say okay you know it didn't work with this guy but i'm not going to let it affect you know what i'm going to do for the next guy mm -hmm. uh, because you know 
the really important things in life, you know, people do for each other because, you know, they want to, they, they respect, I mean, you can't, you know, nobody, nobody charges a machine gun bunker because the lieutenant says charge a machine gun bunker. Uh, knowing that they're, you know, a lot of people are going to die. They, they charge the machine gun bunker because they have confidence that the lieutenant is, is, is making the right decision. They have confidence and they don't want to let their buddies on their left and right down. And, uh, you know, that's, and they, you know, they respect their leaders and they respect their peers and they respect their subordinates enough to do that. And that's why, and that's why people do, you know, the real hard things in life or, you know, you don't do because someone tells you, you know, you do them because you, you respect people. And mm-hmm. that's, 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 that's the key. And, and, uh, you know, it's someone, someone once told me and something I always try to live of live is no matter what rank you get, just remember, I mean, you've got to earn the respect of your subordinates every single day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was something for Sergeant Fox said. He goes, you he says, says you're on, you're in the middle of that. You are the guy standing in the middle of the parade field, twenty four seven, and everybody you know is is in a big perimeter around that that parade field watching you. And you know that's what a leader has. To, that's how a leader has to carry himself. Is you know you're in the middle of the parade field. You're all by yourself. The people are watching how you act and how you treat other people, not what you say. So, I mean, that's, that's, what's always driven me as a leader is to be that person that that's on, you know, parade 24 seven and, and always being the same person, always being uh, true to who, who I am. Yeah. Well, Mike, as we uh, wrap up this episode, tell us what are some of the things that you're currently working on or that you're going to continue to focus on going forward from here? Yeah, we do, we do continue to build the network. Uh, you know, as uh, you know, it looks pretty strong that, uh, you know, uh, life as, as the Ranger Regiment knows it is, is getting ready to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, having, having, you know, having programs like Phalanx and the Ranger for Life program to support the guys, uh, I think is, is going to be the future of, you know, it's how the, it's how the regiment is, is going to retain the right kind of people. I mean, the, uh, some people get mad when I say this and there'll be Rangers that listen to this be mad, you know, but the, the Ranger Regiment has always has never been about the best people. It's always been having about it's always been about the having the right kind of people. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference. There's yeah. Oh definitely, yeah. Definitely a difference. And uh, so I think I think these programs are, will be just you know more critical than they were in the past. Uh, and uh, you know to, to to get the right kind of people to continue to innovate to continue to lead the way for the rest of the army and and the rest of the military and. Uh, yeah. So that's, you know, that's what I'm doing. I, you know, I was because of relationships, you know, once I transitioned out, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I had some great opportunities and, uh, I made, I made a good amount of money. And so now I don't have to worry about that. And I can put, you know, hundred percent effort into, into this, but you know, it's about relationships and that's what we're trying to do with the Ranger Life program is, is to continue those relationships and have that reception and integration program for once people transition out, because I mean, that's going to generate, that's what's going to generate more Rangers. And that's, what's going to keep Rangers in is, is looking at and seeing that there's people that truly care for you, whether you're in the army, whether you're in the regiment, whether you're out in another organization in the army, or, or you've, you've gotten out of the army altogether, you know, that you've, you've got that, that, uh, that bond with people that, that'll last forever. And, uh, yeah, so that's that's a, that's what we're trying to do, and you know, some some people will own their transition and, and realize it's it's another mission, and it's just like just like walking into into 
third squad, third platoon, a company one seven five. And, you know, and, uh, except now I'm, I'm, I'm not in a squad. I'm all by myself and it's me and my family and I'm walking into IBM and it's, you know, how, we, <laughs> how am I going to be successful? Well, that's awesome. So that's what we're going to do is focus on that. And, you know, you know, the great thing is, you know, our, 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 our you know, we, our, our business model, I mean, we get, we get, we get paid in, uh, we get paid in, in satisfaction of helping people. You know, it's not an organization that I don't have to spend a lot of time uh, raising funds. I mean, any organization that, you know, you need something, uh, you know, to keep the organization going and do what you want to do. But I mean, there's just, you know, hundreds of former Rangers out there willing to give their time to, to help other Rangers. And so someone is always there and they all know other people and, and, uh, you know, so it's, it's a, it's a great business model where it's, it's truly all volunteer. And as you all know, I mean, if, you know, I, I'm a ranger that, that got in in 1976. And, and even though this guy that gets out in, in 2022 has no idea who I am, he knows I'm a ranger and he knows I'm going to help him. And I don't know who he is from Adam, but I know I'm going to help him because, you know, we have, we have that shared experience and, and, uh, we, we live by the same creed. Yeah. That's excellent. Well, Mike, we can't thank you enough for, for being on this episode on our show and, and for obviously helping us and endorse the book. It's been truly an honor to not only have you on tonight, but to also just have you on this journey that we've been on. And again, we can't thank you enough for all the help that you've given us, you know, and even going forward, we look forward to following where three ranger foundation goes and continuing to support it any way that we can. Yeah. I appreciate your efforts. And you know, it's, it's, more than I think, as we talked before, I mean, what you're doing, it's more than a book. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's going to have a going to have a huge impact on people. And uh, so, you know, whatever we can, whatever we can do to help, you know, I really want to because it's it's it's, it's more than a book. And yeah. that's the way I think y'all approached it. Uh, that's why how you've done it the way you you did it, and uh, it's 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 pretty unique. So yeah, absolutely. It make it's going to make a difference in people's lives. Yeah. Well, thank you, sir. Well, we look forward yeah. to being in touch with you and, and just thanks again for hopping on tonight on our show. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. All right. Talk to y'all soon. All right. Take care.